0: everyone, and welcome to The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Jen Ashman, from EPAM Continuum. In this session, we ponder this. Who in his right mind would choose to be a goat? That is, who would endeavor to replicate the sight, scent, sounds of the goat experience? Or how about this? Who in her right mind would attempt to build a toaster from scratch? That is, who'd be ambitious... Or perhaps nuts enough to try to fabricate every single element of a modern toaster entirely by herself. Well, we know someone who did both these things, and then wrote two delightfully entertaining and illuminating books about these design adventures. Turns out, he's completely in his right mind. We're talking about a brilliant fellow named Thomas Thwaites, who describes himself as a designer of a more speculative sort. Interested in technology, science, futures, research, and etc. In what is surely our most Anglo-American episode of The Resonance Test, Thwaites chats it up with Toby Botorf, our VP of Service and Experience Design. Stick around and you'll be regaled with stories and wisdom about Thwaites' forays into the wilds of extreme design and literature. And with that, cheers!
1: Thomas, I read and loved both of your books. Uh, they chronicle your process, which I find quite hilarious at times. Um, you have an amazing... Um, Persistence, I think, uh, one of the things <laughs> that runs through <laughs> both <laughs> the toaster project and the Goatman story, uh, is that you start with a with a scheme that you admit is pretty naive. Yeah. Um, but then you just carry on, and you get in touch with um, experts, and you get them to go along with your scheme. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you them. get people to
2: help you out? Um. Well, I'd love to say it's just, you know, my kind of charming personality. (laughs) But actually, generally, I do sort of target them quite specifically. Um, So, um, you know, I kind of... (laughs) slightly like research they look at all their papers and you know and kind of um, read around the subject and then craft them this kind of email which I'm just you know basically hoping that they're gonna respond to this you know Mm. fairly usually fairly kind of bizarre request with like yeah yeah come up and you know and we can talk sort of thing, basically yeah, just the first email to get my foot in the door um, is the the difficult thing, but um, yeah and there's loads which just tell me to, you know, bugger yeah. off
1: <laughs> but, but you're trying to be the most interesting thing in their week, I guess
2: Well, yeah, maybe I sort of think, maybe like the higher up, because they're usually kind of academics, and yeah, maybe the higher up that they go. Uh, academics, I think, the kind of the more freedom they have. Um, and yeah, trying to, you know, trying to entice them with a weird proposal. Is, yeah, um, yeah
1: kind of sometimes works. I think what, what I love about the proposals, what, what is weird about them is how simple and childlike they are. Um, you know, I'm going to make a toaster. I'm going to be a goat. Um, these start out as a very childlike um, make-believe, uh, but then you don't take things at, at face value. Um, you yeah, know, you, you kind of dig beneath. I, I think like
2: the kind of childlikeness of them is, I mean, you know, the kind of toaster project and you know, goat man um, are the two kind of projects that have got you know had the most kind of interest um, certainly and I think they're definitely the kind of most sort of child childlike projects I've done and I think that the appeal of them is their kind of childishness you know um, it's like I you know and they're also kind of fairly common ideas I think you know there's like yeah. I'm not the first one to have like you know wanted to like make my own stuff you know um or kind of thought you know yeah if I was on a desert island I could survive you (laughs) know all by myself kind of thing or you know yeah uh, if only I could be the cat then I wouldn't have to go to school kind of thing so these are like um yeah I think that's sort of the appeal of those
1: projects um is that yeah, you know. Yeah. When I was a kid, I wanted to be amphibious. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I love yeah. frogs, yeah. frogs, and I yeah. wanted to be able to breathe underwater. Yeah,
2: well, I mean, and it, that's the thing, like... And you kind of can, but you have to have, like, a kind of, you know, sort of, you know, technology has kind of brought yeah. us these things, but, like, not quite in the way we wanted as a child. So, yeah. I think, yeah. You know, and I, I think... Sort of, if technology is about kind of letting us fulfill our dreams, kind of thing, mm. then I suppose it's like, which dreams do we try and fulfill? You know, yeah. like, why not? You know, I wanted to be a goat, you know, why sure. that was, you know, <laughs> that was a dream. Um, and yeah, so maybe, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, the work that we do at Continuum is. Um, I'm not going to be shy about it. Commercial work. We work for clients who pay Mm, us. mm, Um, mm. But we've worked on similar stuff. Like we we invented the insulate Omnipod, which is an external uh, artificial pancreas. Mm. And when you were working on Goatman, you tried to uh, invent a workable rumen, uh, which uh, for folks who don't want to look it up is uh, kind of a pre-stomach for digesting grass Mm. and making it um, possible to get the nutrients out of it. Um, So we're we're all thinking about technology in similar ways. Like, what's it for?
2: Yeah, yeah. Technology, it's uh, both a blessing and a curse kind of thing. You know, every sort of, you know, new innovation um, also, you know, could become a kind of uh, problem, you know, it's, yeah. what is it like the dual use problem, you know, yep. you invent these wonderful lithium ion batteries, which let you have like, you know, wonderful, like really powerful, you know, battery powered hand tools. And then that creates a, you know, bike crime epidemic as all of a sudden, you can kind of cut through locks that you couldn't before yep. or whatever. So it's like technology is it's always kind of giving with one hand taking away with the other. And so I suppose, with my work, I'm kind of, you know, trying to sort of, yeah, prod at that a bit. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think you, you you look under the assumptions, I think, about um, technology adoption and take a critical or sceptical eye about the whole package. What are we buying when we're buying the benefits?
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I sort of try. I mean, you know, I... Don't I'm not like I love, <laughs> I love technology but You love your toaster. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I it's like I in fact the Toaster Project was sort of born out of a frustration about the kind of the anti technology, anti kind of uh manufacturing Uh, sort of undercurrent in the kind of green Mm. debate. Um, You know, its sustainability is, like, sort of, you know, it's the thing, but it's slightly, you know, being captured, or, you know, I think less so now, but when I was doing the toaster, like, it felt like it had been captured a bit by, like, the kind of slightly sort of anti-science, anti-technology, anti-future kind of thing. And so, you know, the absurdity of trying to make my own toaster was a bit like, you know, pointing out the kind of incredible wonders of, like, sort of mass production and, you know, this kind of incredibly comfortable life we lead. But, of course, at the same time you know, like trying to interrogate the kind of value and the cost Mm. and the kind of, oh, we had this wonderful object, you know, this cheap toaster, which, you know, when it breaks, we can kind of throw it away, you know. And so in, yeah, demonstrating just how much it would take to do it yourself, perhaps there's kind
1: of, you know, a few trying to kind of get to the root of that. It starts with that, um, just noticing kind of how miraculous a nine dollar toaster is yeah yeah
2: exactly i mean it is absolutely insane how that could be nine dollars or yeah i mean yeah
1: yeah one of the things that i found fascinating about the toaster project was it it was in effect for you also traveling back in time as you Mm. were looking to go backwards through the engineering processes back to raw materials Mm. you ended up having to look up reference manuals older and older like Middle Ages Guides to Smelting
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah Um, yeah, exactly it's, um, you know I went to the undergraduate library you know, the sort of main library at the Imperial College this kind of big university where they have the Royal School of Mines and, you know, looking in these huge textbooks about, you know, mining, metallurgy, um, you know, looking for the kind of the breakout box at the beginning of chapter one, you know, this is the most simple way of making, like, metal from rock. (laughs) And, yeah, you know, that kind of all-important breakout box was, like, nowhere to be seen. So, um, you know, and you realise, I guess all information is sort of... Of its time, you know, all our kind of knowledge, you know, is has its own context, Um, and if you're trying to kind of step out of that context, then um, yeah, then then it's you kind of go down various avenues, like looking up experimental archaeology and kind of very early books about making metal. But I've I've slightly sort of decided, you know. Because I said it was... I had to go further. You know, people don't smelt... You know, we don't have artisanal kind of... Or people don't smelt metal on the scale of just a kind of couple of peasants anymore. But actually I've, you know, since realised that they do and there are still, you know, kind of small oil refining, you know, just like people stealing oil and the kind of, you know, out of the pipes and refining it, you know, this kind of pirated oil and stuff like that. It's all kind of small scale stuff so it's just like yeah the future's already here it's just not evenly distributed yeah. it's
1: perhaps a kind of better thing yeah, yeah the um the f- i think as we think about the future there's um meteorologists have a term the cone of uncertainty about right. predicting the path of a hurricane the farther out we look um the less the less we're likely to know um are yeah. you are you are you optimistic about the future, or terrified, or somewhere in between mixture? Um, I think it, you know, massively fluctuates,
2: <laughs> kind of, you know, and I, kind of, on what I've just read, <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, so I recently made a film about sustainability, you know, um, and. Yeah, and I was talking to kind of eco-modernists who were like, you know, basically I was talking to eco-modernists and neo-peasants, and mm. to me it summed up this sort of the my own dilemma about, you know, am I optimistic or pessimistic? And, you know, there's like the Star Trek future or the yeah. kind of, you know, or the, the sort of Mad Max future and, yeah. Um,
1: what you're describing sounds weirdly nostalgic, even though it's a, a view to the future.
2: Yeah well, what the kind of the Star Trek thing um, I mean I think like a
1: pastoral, uncomplicated um, like I,
2: it's sort of um, It's. I found it slightly it shook me somewhat when I realised that, you know, there is no kind of necessary direction to you know the kind of march of civilization yeah like um i think i hugely internalized this idea of like progress and kind of continuing progress to the stars kind of thing like yeah growing up watching star trek or whatever and um yeah and i think when i realized that i'd kind of internalized that um I found it like oh my god I don't even have that to hold on to sort of thing so um, yeah I think it's yeah sort of a good thing to question our ideas of the
1: future yeah Yeah. so this this question of progress I think is as old as Um, human self-awareness we've Mm. had this idea that like more is better and up is more and you know we build on the past everything's constantly getting better while things are always constantly getting worse we're always going to hell in a handbasket and things have never been this good yeah um i do think something fascinating is about to occur though um projections are that in 2050 we'll have peak human population and You'll probably be alive for that. Uh, we can hope. <laughs> we all will, right? Yeah. Hopefully. Hope. <laughs> um, yeah. But then after that, I wonder what, what progress means if some of the most important numbers uh, that we care about are going to decline. We think about taking care of the environment and like getting some of the curves that are going progressively upward to try to level off, bend down, flatten out, or go yeah. downward
2: what are you saying
1: we will run out of problems we won't have enough, <laughs> um, <laughs> enough no i bet we'll go back to older problems yeah um yeah i mean some of the problems that you have grappled with like in 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 Goatman, the the i think the biggest problem that people deal with with modern life is anxiety mm. um and that's what you were looking to escape mm. it's like the ability to project into the future and worry the pro- ability to project into the past and um you know have um Guilt or shame, or whatever mm. it is, mm. and, and so you wanted to take a holiday,
2: yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be lovely, um, yeah, and yeah, take a holiday from it all. It'd be, you know, wonderful, and also, you know, and it was kind of an important part somehow to, yeah, be in nature and gallop. I really was really keen on learning to gallop, and you know. Did you kind manage of chewing to chewing grass. No, oh, no. too hard. And that was, you know, kind of referring to, like, the kind of emails I was writing to experts. It kind of, you know, talking to an anatomist and then kind of going to talk to these guys <laughs> who make prosthetics <laughs> for kind of amputees um, and, you know, saying, yeah, and then I'm going to gallop. Yeah. <laughs> then I want to gallop, right? And them just kind of you know, just lo- you know, just uh, laughing me out of the room, basically. <laughs> yeah. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to gallop. And I was like, well, but robots can do it. Yeah. You know, surely humans could do it. And, oh, yeah, right. all it's sorts of, you know...
1: Uncooperative wetware we're Exactly, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. What, I mean, what is, <laughs> you know, what have we achieved if we can't even, you know, roll back the clock five million years and, yeah. you know, make ourselves gallop?
1: I, I do get the sense that um, your work is more about that process than the idea that the the, the, the initial idea could be anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the way that you navigate through the unknown and the impossible <laughs> to get to an acceptable finish. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think
2: I've like constantly sort of reevaluating my own criteria for success, basically, yeah. like. And, yeah, being flexible enough to, you know, um, to find a different route. So with the toaster project, you know, I set out, like, I'm going to do everything from scratch. And, you know, it has to be follow all these kind of rules. Um, But, you know, and then at the end, you know, by the finish of, you know, what, the end of the project, I'd broken all my own rules and... I think I could have taken a different approach which would have been like to like 100% follow the rules that I'd set myself kind of thing and um, and that would have led to a different outcome but I think some you're right in that somehow you know following the initial rules isn't the point if you see what I mean the point is to use this as a vehicle to explore all sorts of different things which kind of come up in the course of the project and so yeah I can you know I make my rules I can change my own rules kind of thing so um yeah so it's sort of just following a trail where it leads and I think you
1: you manage somehow to have um along the journey the right number of constraints too few constraints and the thing is boring uh too many constraints and it's impossible but you always
2: yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's almost <laughs> like I guess you're always striving to like do the best you possibly can. Yeah, and um, yeah, and so maybe it's a result of that.
1: Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, one of the things that I love about your work is that you seem to have a very comfortable relationship with the absurd. <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> you're able to talk about yeah. becoming a goat on yeah. the phone with you know academic experts without yeah. um, with a straight face. Yeah. Um, and I, I can't describe how I don't know what my reactions are. It's hugely affirming. Uh, I think um, yeah. you're just kind of cheerful and tireless on your way through um, through projects. Um, and for for designers who are worried about looking silly or giving up when things get hard, do you have any advice?
2: So first of all, when you're doing a project
1: like at the beginning of a
2: project to like become a goat you might have you know it's like you don't know what it's going to end up like it could just be like a complete sort of nothing or you know a total failure kind of thing or whatever um and you know quite often throughout the project you're always thinking yeah this is just totally rubbish (laughs) like what the hell um And so, yeah, so I think sometimes you do just have to, like, just finish it because you said you were going to do it and, you know, there's just, it's not even that fun to do, you know, it's just like you've just got to plough on. I think, but I think in terms of, like, the absurd, you know, you can definitely find kind of meaning in, like, certain, you know, absurd, things there's you know like I guess yeah like everything you know so much is absurd and I guess yeah yeah, questioning what is absurd and what isn't absurd is
1: sort of part of the project so um yeah (laughs) I think one of the things that we experience on on almost all of our projects um is that everything is more interesting than you thought at first yeah and I think I see the same thing in your projects So you dig in and you're like oh how do we make plastic?
2: Or yeah, yeah. Or how would I
1: digest grass? Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, exactly. You can just, you know, slightly scratch the surface of something and then all of a sudden you're in a whole world of, yeah. you know... Who knew? Yeah, who knew? And, like, <laughs> people have, like, conferences about this and, like, and it's just kind of anything. Um, and I think that's sort of a bit the pleasure of being a designer is you know getting to kind of slightly like dabble and like get kind of intensely involved in a certain like subject yeah um and kind of finding pleasure in that
1: yeah we're like amateur experts serial experts
2: yeah serial experts or you know yeah or get to at least sort of have the pleasure of you know Imagine we are, or something like that. The things or,
1: I could tell you about or, insurance.
2: Yeah, sure, exactly. Or like you know, fascinating stuff. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you
1: know, always um, looking for. So enough about insurance. Let's go back to goats, because um, um, I, personally, I love goats. They are they are adorable. They've got those weird satanic eyes. They're incredibly goofy. But um, yeah, why goats? Your 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 quest was inspired by. A dog Yeah, yeah, so um
2: so I was dog sitting
1: my niece's dog, um
2: Noggin, um who's like a extremely happy, joyous kind of Irish terrier um and I guess, yeah, the reason I was dog-sitting, I didn't have much else to do, (laughs) which, like, (laughs) if you're freelance, you know, can start to feel a little bit kind of worrying. Um, And so, uh, yeah, so, you know, I was like, oh, God, things aren't going very well. And then, you know, looking down at this kind of very happy animal and... um, yeah, I guess that was sort of where this thought of like, oh, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to take a holiday from being a human and all the kind of regret and worry and so on and, you know, angst that goes with it. And, um, yeah, and so... Yeah, so I decided to try and become an animal and um, <laughs> then it was like... No problem. The question was, you know, which animal? And I did sort of... I went through a sort of you know I was thinking like which animal I, I don't want to be a dog some you know there were kind of various dog too obvious dog was basically when you're thinking about it <laughs> like for some reason like all these kind of sexual connotations like I just really didn't want the project to kind of be about that sort of yeah. thing <laughs> and it's like why do you want to be a dog and like you know, uh, or like a a horse or, you Mm. know, I don't know, it just, anyway. Too close. Too, there was, yeah, exactly, you don't want sort of, anyway, you just sort of, I just really didn't want to go in that direction (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) I don't know, maybe I was stupid to think like that, but that was sort of in my brain, But, um, but also like the food i didn't want to kind of eat like you know raw meats, and also you know if you're a dog then okay if you're in the wild then you have to if you're a carnivore or a predator then you have to catch yeah something that's which, a lot of work which is a lot of work like you know um and so that kind of practical sort of reason and I just sort of didn't want to be a carnivore and I wanted to eat grass and so eventually I settled upon Elephant um, and then, yeah, and then sort of started the project I'm going to become an elephant And was that the grant application was to become an elephant? Yeah, exactly, so I wrote this grant mm-hmm. application to um, this charity, the Wellcome Trust um,
1: I love that they gave you money
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're fantastic. Like, they're a huge biomedical research charity. They're, I think, by, you know, sort of founded by Henry Wellcome, who, you know, made millions, hundreds of years, or a hundred years ago off kind of early pharmaceuticals, and they've got this huge endowment, Mm. I think, second only to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or something. And usually they fund like you know the human genome project or kind of you know huge (laughs) cancer research centers you know um but they have a little bit of money which they spend on kind of you know projects which kind of incorporate the arts and the sciences Mm. and i think you know from their point of view they're keen to kind of you know contribute to the idea you know a scientific society like sort of try and kind of bridge that cultural gap between the sciences and the arts and sort of so yeah so they gave me some money to become an elephant basically um and then i sort of started this project and quite quickly really went off elephants um because they you know they elephants are. I picked like one of the only other species on the planet that has a sense, you know, an understanding of its own mortality, and you know, you could argue that our, our entire kind of existential conundrum comes from like being conscious yeah. of the fact we're going to die. We're or, all going to you know, die. Exactly. We're all going to die. Turn to dust, <laughs> etc. So um, and you know they kind of, they suffer post-traumatic stress and they kind of live in these complex social groups and, um, you know, so kind of trying to escape the troubles of being a human by, you know, becoming an elephant um, would be like, you
1: know... A busman's holiday. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, exactly. So then, yeah, I was complaining to a friend in the pub about, you know, I've got all this money to to, to become an elephant and I don't want to become an elephant anymore. Um, And she suggested I go and visit a friend of hers who's a shaman, and yeah, so off I went to visit this lady in her kind of kind of cabin in this commune, and um, we had an extremely interesting and kind of enlightening conversation, um, the sort of upshot of which was I was an idiot for even considering <laughs> that I could become an elephant, and um, you know be because my background is like a you know londoner born and bred kind of thing i could you know only be a much more kind of domestic sort of animal and she assigned me the goat so um yeah <laughs> so that's yeah and yeah. i never i didn't look back it was like
1: you know it was a good moment for me and so you uh, in your book you talked about kind of taking different aspects of goatness one by one the the physiology and mechanics, the digestion, the consciousness, Um, what was the high point of your goatness? Um, I think
2: definitely being amongst this herd of goats in the Swiss Alps, kind of, you know, I was sort of had the prosthetics and, you know, had kind of been sort of, it was quite an arduous day to kind of get there and then I finally caught up with this herd of goats and like you know at first they were kind of very wary but you know they sort of gradually. Did you feel like they
1: accepted you finally?
2: Um, I, in the end I sort of did you know and even the goat herd um, who knows these goats you know he lives <laughs> with them he said that he thought the herd had accepted me and the reason was was because I think I sort of nearly got into a goat fight. Um Ooh. yeah, because you know, in any they're social animals, if you've just introduced into the group you need to find your place well in you a kind of pecking on order. On yeah, yeah. I, I had a helmet on, it was going to be this helmet with a whole kind of sensory package, but you know, I didn't have time, but I thought I need a kind of crash helmet to change my silhouette. Um, and yeah
1: my inner eight year old would have had some big horns on that
2: yeah 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 <laughs> well my plan was to um, fibreglass my hair oh I was growing my hair as, as long as possible and then I was going to kind of fibreglass horns but it wasn't long enough oh. yeah so that's the, I kind of consider the goat project an unfinished work I think you know I sort of want to go back one day um, <laughs> yeah
1: but if not now, um, what is next for you?
2: Um, having a baby, that's going to be a project. It um, is a big project, but big luckily project you're not the here. first to do that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's been um, there. Yeah, and I don't know. I mean, um, yeah, I've got like, I don't know. I'll just have to sort of see what comes along, you know. Okay.
1: Yeah. Earlier I was sharing work that we've done with the Department of Homeland Security uh, envisioning a future first response system and you brought up uh, design fictions. Uh, One of the things that strikes me perhaps about just the way design is thought of and funded in the UK as opposed to here is that there's more room for speculation over there. Um, Yeah, I think there
2: is. I think there's possibly more kind of funding available for like the kind of like fine art model of like living Mm. as a designer in that you kind of make a living from you know kind of occasionally getting commissions um, or um, you know sort of writing to um, kind of foundations which have some interest in kind of promoting some aspect of the work that you do yeah. Um, so yeah so it was the Wellcome Trust that funded um, this uh, sort of project to become a goat and um, I did another project um, where I imagined like a future sort of uh, unit of the Metropolitan Police where they used bees to kind of track genetically modified plants so you know kind of sort of design fictions but the um, let's say the kind of the uh, immediate use is not apparent kind of mm. thing. I guess they're useful as a kind of, yeah. A provocation. As a provocation. Um, yeah, and so I think there is, I mean, I don't know, I've never kind of mm. experienced the US. I mean... It's kind of problematic in the UK as well. It's not like a kind of bed of roses. Um, And so, you know, doing the kind of work I do, you kind of need to, I suppose, like combine with teaching or something like that.
1: Mm. Well, this has been uh, super provocative. Great conversation. Thomas, I will talk to you in the near future, I hope. Yeah, thank you, Toby.
0: (laughs) The Resonance Test Podcast is where we seek out people who are consistently able to go from inspiration and cool ideas to fully implementing them. Innovation in this form can be found in all sorts of fields, from health and tech to food and music, and we love hearing how different people go about doing this transformation repeatedly. EPAM Continuum is a global innovation design consultancy with studios in Boston, Milan, Seoul, and Shanghai. At EPAM Continuum, we're very deliberate about the term innovation. For us, it means turning ideas into stuff that's real. From our perspective, it's not really innovative until it exists. If you want to learn more about EPAM Continuum and the work we do, go to continuuminnovation.com. Thanks to Toby and Thomas for their wonderful conversation today. Many thanks to Kip, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for recording this podcast. Unending appreciation for Ken Gordon, our producer, for his masterminding behind the scenes. This has been The Resonance Test. I'm your host, Jen Ashman, and to our listeners, we thank you for your ears.